shall have no other gods before me. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Good old Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, the god of zapping and thundering and lightning comes upon the world. And so I asked the question, how well does stone age? Because if you've seen that, you know that the Ten Commandments were written in stone. Possibly, probably. But there's a few problems with all of that, not to mention that they kind of take different parts of the Bible and put it all together, and so for biblical criticism, it's a really hard movie to watch. <laughs> but outside of that, we, we have sort of generational differences in understanding that movie. Most of the folks that I would call folks in their uh, wisdom years see that as a powerful witness to the testimony of God's work in the world. And going back and with that lens, it really is in incredible ways. But there are others. There are others who tend to be in their younger years, tend to look at the movie as antiquated, especially if you're really a, a stickler for uh, special effects. See it as antiquated, not just for the special effects, though, for the sense it gives that God is a dude. And not just any dude, but a one that requires strict adherence to a set of rules. And if you don't obey the rules, we know that a white man and a throne will come down this time or later and make you pay the consequences. Now, it's interesting for me that Christians have this understanding of the Ten Commandments. The commandments are powerful, and we're going to continue to get to that in just a minute. But that our Jewish friends have a slightly different understanding of God. One of the reasons is that when we think about commandments, the number that comes to mind is ten. When they think about commandments, or the mitzvot, they think about 615. There are 615 different commandments or mitzvot statutes given throughout the Hebrew scriptures. But we really like those ten. We really think those are the most important. And there are a wonderful summary of all the other laws, to be clear. But there's a way in which we view God in a certain way when there are a strict set of simple rules that you could put up in a courthouse or put hang up in your house. And if you've got those, you've got everything. That's a very different sense of who God is and can be easily said by a quiet white man on a chair sitting and telling you the ten simple rules compared to our Jewish friends that have this much deeper, broader understanding, a God who's spoken rules even as, as intricate as what kind of gold mined from where can be used on what side of what part of the temple that was built. We have to get past 10 to understand that these are incredible things for us. And it's not just about 10 commandments, but about the law. You may remember we've been doing a sermon series on the promises of God, the promises of all these different covenants and different ways that God has made these covenants with people. The first problem with the law that we're discovering today is that we have forgotten that the Ten Commandments are part of a covenant community. Covenant people are part of a relationship, a communal life. Covenant people have a rhythm 
to live together. If you've been in an organization, maybe the government, maybe your business or your home, maybe even your family at times, when the rhythm was going well, right? Where things, the sense of flow that psychologists talk about, the sense that things are just happening right. And usually within that healthy system, there's a sense of trust. There's a sense that we're playing by the same set of rules here, that we're also moving forward together. There's a sense that covenant community is a place where people are living in a pro shared promise. When people ask me the difference between promise and covenant, I always say that promise is usually just a two-person thing, right? You and I, like I promise not to hit you over the head, and you promise not to do that to me either. A covenant is at least a three-party partnership, where we make promises to each other, but we're also bringing God into the mix, the marital covenant being the most important one. We all know very well when marriages are rooted in just two people's desires for one another, it doesn't last that long. But when we're able to find something that's also rooted in God's purpose for us, it's rooted in some sort of sacred knotting together, threading of multiple threads, it is, as scriptures say, a cord that cannot be broken. The marital covenant is obviously even more complicated than the very simplistic description I just gave you. We get the sense that there's a way where God is involved in covenants. God doesn't just make promises that can be easily broken and smashed down. God is always faithful to the covenant. We've heard the story of how God was faithful to Noah and the people. Even after the world was terrible, God could have destroyed everybody. But God had made a promise to always be with the people that God created in the garden. So covenant involves at least a few people. As one person said, these commandments point to that, that this is, these commandments are not just about right action, but about fundamental human-to-human -human and divine-to-human relationships. Or as I like to describe them, horizontal relationships and vertical relationships. When actions, when Jesus shows later that we are not just to not do these things, but also not to even contemplate, right? It's not just about not committing adultery. It's not even thinking about it. Jesus shows us when actions like murder and adultery are even contemplated, the rhythm of covenantal living is interrupted. So healthy covenantal life is about a healthy rhythm. So how do we handle this law thing? We want a good covenant community, right? Is anybody who doesn't want a good covenant community in, in the house this morning? We want that community, but it seems so, so distant in the midst of the chaos and inter-political dialogue we're having right now. So how does the law play into all this? It's not easy for us Protestants, to be clear. Luther and others thought the law was about as evil as it gets because it just brings you down, just shows you how bad there is. And there's no good parts of the law. But we're getting a better understanding, a better grasp for how the law is part of the dual relationship with the gospel of Christ. Woven together can strengthen us. The law has two major parts you need to know about. One is that the law provides a set of boundary banks. We were talking with the kids this morning. It was very clear that if I went out of this stream, if you will, over here, I got yelled at. No! No, Pastor Eric, you are out of the stream. This is not where things are supposed to be. Ah, now you're in the right waters. Now you're flowing in the right place. 
the law provides a sense of boundaries, a sense that once you've gone up in the dry land, it's not impossible to keep going back to those doors, right? But the farther we get off the, the stream, the farther we get on the ground, the harder it is to follow the waters down to the destination. We have ways of making that happen in our own world. We have a church that has said, here are our boundaries. Christ is our center, and children are a blessing, and justice is our passion. And this is where we row together. It's okay if you don't have those particular values, but this probably isn't going to be a church community that you really enjoy. I value that, and I value being with you all in this community that says, this, these are our boundaries. This is where the dirt comes up, and we say, no, it's really hard to swim down the waters of God's love together when you run up against that kind of mud. Maybe in your own businesses, you found that there are healthy boundaries given to employees. Employees are given a task and says, hey, this is what we need you to do. You need to get down there. Here are your resources. We're going to provide the accountability that you get it done. Everything else about how you do it is up to you. Take care. That's what I enjoy about boundaries is that it doesn't mean you have to just do this or just one set of bricks. How limiting it is if I only follow a very small path. But God's law provides boundaries for us to flow in between and around. God's law provides Boundaries, God's law provides direction. Because it isn't just about being in the water. There is a place that we're going. God points us to the way of peace because we know that the way of peace provides abundant life, even if it's not prescriptive. Gene Peterson, a great pastor, made this message translation of the Bible. He translated Psalm 19 in this way. He said, the revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. Have you ever felt like maybe you were getting off the path and then you saw God putting up a guidepost for you? Made it that much easier for you to come down the right path into the right direction. Boundaries are nice, and the direction gives us purpose. But at the end of the day, the source of it all begins with the very first word of the Ten Commandments. Anochi. I. In a lot of languages, as you know, it's very unusual to use the first-person pronoun. Usually have a verb that's kind of tacks on that first-person part at the end of it, right? So when someone says, I, they're not messing around. I am the Lord your God. The preface for the Ten Commandments is not these are the rules you need to follow so everything goes good, but that remember who I am. Anoki Yahweh, I am the Lord, your God. As we talked about the law being necessary for covenant community, it's also necessary for our vertical relationship with God. 
all of this law is, is just emanating out of who God is, and what God wants the world to be like. Walter Brueggemann puts it this way. He says, these commands might be taken not just as a series of rules, but as a proclamation in God's own mouth of who God is and how God shall be practiced by this community of liberated slaves. Remember, the Israelites had just gotten out of Egypt. Moses brings us out in this mountain. They don't know what direction they're supposed to be going. They have no boundary lines. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Remember, I am the Lord you God who brought you out of Egypt. Don't put anything else before me. Move in the direction of our God. I think it's interesting in our church, if you follow the path one of either two ways, if your eyes are wandering, if you don't like staring at me for too long, you could have either gone this way and followed the path to the risen Christ, or come this way and follow the path to the crucified Jesus. I think the one behind me in particular is pretty clear that following the ways of God don't always end well for you. The justice of the kingdom, that, that magnificent obsession of Jesus of Nazareth, doesn't always end in great ways for us, at least the ways we would want them to. But we historical creatures of 2,000 plus years later know that it does lead to more life, abundant life, the ways of mercy and justice, the ways that God had been calling the covenant people of Israel to for thousands of years and calls us to thousands of years later. The psalm says, happy are those who dwell on the law of the Lord. They are like trees that are planted near the streams. Their fruit is magnificent. We didn't see Jesus' fruit from that tree necessarily at first. And we remembered that the one who followed God, even into the darkest death, came up with fruits bearing light even now, even today. One last thought on all this law business. Maybe you don't want to go and memorize all 615 of them. Maybe you don't feel up to the task. But I do wonder what it would look like if we started treating the commandments more equally. I don't know about anybody here. I don't remember anybody here who has told me that they've murdered someone. But there's plenty of you who've told me you've not kept the Sabbath. Let me be clear. I want to tell you that I've not always kept the Sabbath. What would it look like if we kept those two commandments equally? That there's some deep hidden mystery within these ancient peoples thousands of years ago, hearing from God and realizing to be a healthy covenant community, we've got to rest. We can't do this to ourselves. We can't keep pushing ourselves day in and day out without breathing. We need to remember the one in whom we are centered and the path in which God has called us. May you remember the law of the Lord. May it dwell richly in your heart. At the end of the day, if you don't know who to go 
or what word to listen to, you, may you remember the words of the disciples who said, Lord, to whom do we go? You have the words of eternal life. Thanks be to God and amen.